Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Tapping in. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by EB, Eric Burns. Now, Eric is one of the most fascinating individuals I've ever had the pleasure of speaking with. I was discussing podcasts with a friend of mine right before I actually launched my own, and he told me to check out the Daily Hustle. So I downloaded the first episode, and it was electric. I told myself, I have got to know this guy. And so I reached out to him via Twitter, and we just hit it off. He's full of energy, he's full of wisdom, and I'm thankful that our paths cross. You know how people will tell you not to have your hands in too many pots? Well, I'm a firm believer in being able to master many things if you can understand time management and if you are able and willing to completely immerse yourself into the task at hand. Well, EB knows how to do just that. I'm going to run down a list of some of the accolades that he's accomplished over the years. Ten years in the major leagues. He's a podcast host of The Daily Hustle, UCLA Hall of Famer. He's an MLB analyst for the MLB Network. He's an author of The Effort List. He's an ultra-marathon runner. He's a Guinness Book of World Record holder. He's a philanthropist. He's a dad. He's a husband. And he got a lot to give. All right? So we got a lot to talk about in this podcast. There's a lot of experiences shared. So let's get to it. Now, your feedback is always helpful. And I very much appreciate you all tuning in. If you haven't already, hit that sub button and tell a friend about the Taj Boyd podcast. Here we go. All right. And so, I, you know, I, I looked at the effort list. And how cool is it that you were able to take these experiences, this journey that you had, and be so in tune to what was happening, so present to what's happening that you were able to document it, you know? I was literally just talking to a friend of mine, and, you know, he was like, hey, do you regret anything? And I'm like, yeah, man. Like, I love writing. And I was like, I wish I would have journaled through my experiences, because some of them come back to you when, when, when people relay a message and it just clicks. But there was so much that's mm-hmm. happened in these moments, man, throughout the course of, of these years that, you know, once you forget them, man, they're just, they're gone, you know. But there's a lot there that, that you can use and that you can share that's going to help somebody along that journey. So the fact that you were able to do that with the effortless, man, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, Taj, here, here's the thing, though, man. Like, I was just like you, dude. It wasn't like I was documenting this as it was happening so basically the only way that we'll ever efficiently and effectively get through life is we completely immerse ourselves in the moment of whatever way and when i played baseball it was i was all in dude it was absolutely everything i had and it got to a point where when i was um in college, it's like I, I loved writing. It was still the it's really kind of the only thing I, I loved about school. Um, and it's probably one of the things that um, I was really good at. Yeah. And when I finished playing baseball, I kind of had this thing go off, right, like in my head, like, man, like I just lived a pretty cool life of playing Major League Baseball for 11 years and yeah. – you know, now it's kind of turned the page and have all these sort of epic stories and whatnot. And so I just started writing, man. And within, I don't know, a, a certain amount of time, so you'd probably say like less than a year, my dad passed away. And it was total unexpected. Yeah. And then it was just like I, I'd gotten into Ironman, doing endurance stuff and doing Ironman triathlons. And it's just like <sighs> all of these things are happening. And I found this therapeutic relief in writing. 
And when I started writing, I wasn't writing for anybody else but myself. And with the thought and idea that I have three kids and if I were to leave this earth today and, you know, leave nothing else behind but these sort of writings, at least they can kind of learn and understand some of the experiences that I went through in my life. And one of the things my dad said, he said, I can give you two things that nobody can ever take away. Number one is education. Number two is experience. And so that's all I've ever tried to say accomplish in my life and at the same time give to my kids. And so everything that we do is predicated on education and experience, education, experience. And so I went back and I, I wrote this. Dude, I had 500 pages to shit, man. Like, I had no idea what to do with it. And so I, get, I, I handed it over to, to my wife. I handed it over to my cousin. Uh, went to Stanford, smart kid, knows me really well, not afraid to speak the truth. And pretty much, you know, both of them came back to me and they said the same thing. They're like, yeah. you know, number one, this is fantastic. And I can't, I couldn't put it down. He said, they're like, but number two, it needs some structure. Yeah. And so that's when I went back and, I, and I, I looked at all these experiences and I read it myself. And I'm like, holy jeez. You know, I didn't realize the lessons that I got to take out of what was going on in the past, right? Like, I didn't realize what this was teaching me. But now, you know, as I sit here and a 40-year-old man and I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay. Yeah, this is the wisdom that was acquired. And sometimes I would get it and I would apply it with like subconsciously. And that's what experience does for you, right? Education never stops, dude. And that's what I like about you. I mean, I feel like, you know, you're continuing to push the envelope. You're continuing to dive into stuff to figure out, you know, how could I personally, uh, you know, first and foremost, pass on what I learned. But the other thing is, dude, you got to continue to accumulate knowledge. And the only way to do that is by educating yourself through reading and then going out there and living your life and experiencing it. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so basically at the end, you know, we, we ended up figuring it all out. And human crash chest dummy was my nickname when I played <laughs> baseball. So we, we, we called it the effort list, um, life lessons from a human crash chest dummy. And then the effort list goes back to a productivity chart, basically, that my college roommates and I had at UCLA. And obviously it was called the fuck it list. And we went like down a list and we would like write all the stuff that we would do through the course of the day. And it's like, wake up, Yoxo weight training, um, you know, art history class, buck 50 sub, you know, 100 extra swings off a tee before practice, long taught, like documented all of it. And it held us accountable. And it's amazing because, you know, we come back and we look at it and, you know, it's a little bit of a pissing contest for all of us. But uh, at the same time, you know, for a bunch of college kids that are all over the place and really, you know, didn't have a lot of structure in their lives, um, it put us all on track. Well, and, and I want to talk about that a little bit, too, because, I mean, you guys had a hell of a team over there at UCLA. You guys finished as the national champs. And that doesn't happen without the abilities, right? Accountability, reliability, dependability, all of that structure and framework within that team. And... You know, I want to ask you that those experiences that you had as a kid, when they got there, help you in that transition as far as being good and then getting to that level of greatness, you know? Well, I I think the biggest thing um, in all of this is being able to adapt to your surroundings. And, you know, like you and I talked before, you know, we started rolling here, man, like it's, it's a part of basically like having a belief in yourself and, and, and then ha- having guys like Kwame Lasseter come up to you, man, and be like, Hey dude, don't ever let anybody tell you yeah. that, that you can't do this. Um, you know, the sky's the limit. The one thing is my, my parents, my dad never plays ball. Mom didn't play baseball. There's no baseball background at all. My dad was a fourth degree black belt in Keppel karate. My mom was a, <laughs> uh, an avid uh, tennis player right. and they let me do me. And, you know, I, I fell in love with football, basketball, and baseball, and that's just what I did. And, um, you know, when I remember, like, I was about nine years old, 
know, I would tell anyone who's listening, I was like, what are you going to do? It's like, I'm going to play pro- professional sports. Yeah. Like, there's no question. It's just the only question right now is, just, you know, it's going to be football or baseball, one or the other. And uh, it was funny because they literally, like, you know, people would laugh at you. And, and they're like, yeah, good luck and all this stuff. And, you know, and, and I, I was pretty good when I was a kid. But, you know, it's, it's amazing how many people that you're going to encounter the, along the way that try to suppress sure. your, 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 your mindset. And, look, I don't want, I don't want people living in, in a fantasy land. That's, I don't think that's necessary. I think, you know, the problem with youth sports, too, is that a lot of parents believe that their kid is going to be the next Olympian, the next NFL star quarterback, the next this and that. I, let, that's for your kid to believe. For the parent, you just support the journey. You yeah. just be there to support that. You never tell him no. You never tell him or her no. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how I came up. And, and I always believed the sky was the limit. And, um, you know, when I got to UCLA, man, it was like nothing was ever paid for me. I had to, I had to earn everything I got. And so when I got there, it was just like, you know, I, I, I showed up and I sat there for four games on the bench. Um, two inner squad. I, I was part of like the number one recruiting class in the country too, but I obviously was kind of put on the back burner. And basically, my coach came up to me after sitting on the bench for four games. He asked me if I saw the last pitch. I'm like, Nah, man. I sorry, missed that one. He's like, Start running. And so I had to run, and I run and run and run. I ran for three hours, Taj, three hours. And then afterwards, he's like, Come see me in my office. So I went to see him in his office, and he goes. Why weren't you paying attention? I said, well, I said, it's fourth game of the inner squads here in the fall. I said, I'm the only guy that hadn't been in the game. And I said, I just finally, you know, just checked out and lost interest. He's like, well, I plan on redshirting you. I said, okay. I said, well, here's the deal. I said, I didn't come here to redshirt. So, you know, you want to redshirt me, that's fine. I'll go back to Kenyatta College, go to a JC, whatever else. I said, I came, I said, I said, not only did I come here to play, I said, I came here to start this year. And I was, I'm a freshman, man. I like the, the balls <laughs> I had to have to say that. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. So next day, he's, he's like, all right, you want to start? You're starting a right field leading off tomorrow. I said, good. So hit the first ball off the right center field fence. And uh, four years later, basically played every single game and uh, walked, walked out of there as the all-time hits leader in UCLA history. Well, so That's an important message, man, because like you said, one of the things that I realized is that it's not that people don't believe in the, the, the potential or the idea of, of somebody succeeding other than them. It's that they project their fears onto somebody else, you know, if, if they fear it, right? It's like, I never learned how to swim, and that's that's on me now. But as a kid, I was so afraid of water because my mom was afraid of water, right? And she was like, well, don't get in that water because, you know, you're not essentially not going to make it out alive, you know. But she would, if she would have never said that, and she would have just said, hey, just jump in, you'll figure it out, would have been no issue at all. And so I think a lot of kids now go through life with people that are surrounding them that don't believe in themselves, one. So then up until that point, these kids don't believe in themselves. And this this process, this journey, this ongoing uh, grind that has to happen, man, it is a, it is a damn marathon, you know? And, yeah. you know, like we talked about before we start recording, I mean, this isn't, you know, the, the right now it's how do I outlast, you know, how do I keep taking these steps to improve myself daily and not get into this piston contest where I'm literally comparing myself to the next person because things change every year, you know, things change within the months and so this grit and this, this perseverance and this mental capacity and this attitude and mental fortitude that you got to have to find success, I mean, it's a dance. It's tough. You know, you start looking at the last dance. I don't know if you've been keeping up with that, with the, with the Michael Jordan documentary and the Bulls. Yeah. I mean, what he had, you know, can't be taught. That is something that is – he just grinded out to the point where nobody can take that from him, you know. Taj, you got to be obsessed, man. Let me tell you something. I have, I've had an opportunity to spend time around some of the greatest athletes who've ever lived. Yeah. Um, Tom Brady being one of them, played football and baseball against him in high school. Uh, Lance Armstrong uh, being another. I played with Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, I spent a ton of time around Barry Bonds. And I can tell you that 
these dudes are out of their minds. They are so single track focused on doing their job and being the absolute best at what they do. And at some point, it doesn't matter who you are. If you want to be great, you've got to be obsessed. And it's a, it sounds a little sick, but it is the truth. And it, it's funny because it's like, it's what drives guys, um, you know, to the ultimate extreme. And obviously Bonds and, and, and Lance got caught up in whatever they did. You know, that's a, this for a whole nother podcast. And, right. you know, w- without judgment and condemnation or anything else, there's a lot of other dudes doing the exact same thing. Sure. So the point is though, that at some point, like you got to have that trigger that just goes. Michael had that man. Right. Like it was, I, I got a, I got a good buddy of mine that's in, 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 uh, Mike's inner circle. And it, it's fascinating to hear the stories about how competitive that that dude is. It's, um, it's different. And literally it's funny. I was, I was talking about, uh, the Isaiah Thomas thing with a friend of mine, Dream Team deal, and I wanted to, I wrote a little piece on it, and the whole idea and the concept was was it to the point where those guys didn't understand or know what they were looking at when they looked at Isaiah when they stepped in that court, right? Because he wasn't best friends with him, he was never friendly, but he was competitive to a damn to to, to a fault, you know, to the point where these guys were like, you know, I don't know if he's going to be such a good teammate, and I don't even believe that they thought that, but it was, he had such a drive himself because of where he came from, the experiences that he had, that that was his damn superpower. That was his chip. Yeah. My chip is to go a hundred miles an hour and say, fuck you to everybody else. And that's how yep. I survive out here in the wild, you know? Yeah. And so for, for everybody, it's, you know, what happens when they get the money? All right. They get the money, you know, they go play pro. They reach the pinnacle of their career and two things are going to happen. Either they're going to, be considered a bust because they lose that chip or they're going to turn it into damn overdrive and become something that nobody ever imagined. And that's what it's about, right? Because the moment that yeah. you lose that edge is the moment that you're actually lost, you know? Dude, it, it, it ain't about the money for these guys. Yeah. I'm telling you. It, it's not about the money. Mickelson, too. Yeah. I play I play, golf, I play four rounds of golf with Phil Mickelson. I, I'd never, you know, never in my life I've seen anyone like every single shot, dude. We bet on every single shot. Like, it was, it was so next level. And, you know, he was he, super friendly and it was awesome. And, and let me tell you something, the Barry Bonds, yeah. bro, that, that, that dude was nothing but gold to me. Nothing. He took me under his wing. Um, there was actually a time when, you know, I, I, I was in college at UCLA. So I was, I go home for, for winter break and Barry worked out with a guy by the name of Raymond Ferris. And so Raymond knew I played at UCLA. So he's like, Hey man, do me a favor. You come out and play long toss with, uh, with Barry. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, long toss. You guys hit, you run sprints together. I'm like, shit. Yeah. Okay, let's go. And so ended up showing, we go to Menlo college and show up and man, we play long toss. We do sprints. We hit everything. Um, you know, Barry's a little different, right? It's that some days he was a lot more friendly. Other days it was just, you know, whatever. Um, but I would tell my boys, I'm like, Hey man, I'm like, dude, I'm working out with Barry Bonds and, and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And so even when I signed with the A's, I'm in, I'm in uh minor league spring training my first year. And I told all the dudes how like, Hey man, Bonds is my boy, man. This and this, whatever. And so one day Barry comes down to uh spring training and he goes to the, uh, the minor league field to take it bats. And what they do is they lead off every inning, right? So he can get like four at bats in a, in a 20 minute period, 30 minute period. So he comes, takes his four at bats, and he's leaving. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, man, this is the moment of truth. Yeah. And so all my boys who I've been telling about my, hey, my relationship with Barry, this and that. And uh, he's walking by, he's walking in front of the dugout. I kind of stick my head out like this. Like I'm like, yo, Barry. He goes, college boy? What's up, motherfucker? Oh, lifts me up, yeah. throws me over his shoulder, spins me around. And like you should have seen the look on my teammates' face, man. They're like, "No fucking way, man!" Like it was, yeah. It was, it was, it was so cool. So 
And then the other thing is, I'll tell you about Barry. Like, you know, I, I ran into him a couple, um, uh, couple years ago when we, uh, released a documentary, Diamond of the Rough, which was about my transition out of baseball into the ultra endurance world and then doing the Western States 100 miler. And, uh, I ran into Barry, uh, it was at the ballpark and, you know, we bullshitting about this or that. And I told, I told him about this, you know, age. Hey, we have this big premiere coming up, sports based in San Francisco. And he's like, I'll be there. I'm like, really? Yeah. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, just send, he's like, just send me the time or whatever. Cool. Sure enough, dude, Barry shows up. Like, it's just, yeah. you know, you see, when he, he's one of those presents, man. Like, he walks in. Right. It's, Everybody takes notice. Oh. Right. Yeah. It, it, you know, and it's, Dude, this is it. I don't. I don't care what anyone wants to say, man. This this is the greatest player we've ever seen in our lifetimes. It's just not even close. Yeah. He is so much better than everybody else. Like it, it's it's it was it was a it was like the kid like a senior in high school coming down and playing little league. Yeah. That's what the big leagues was like for him. He's the only guy that he'd stand in the batter's box, and I'm in. I'm a major league outfielder. I'm in the outfield, and I'm thinking to myself, don't hit it to me. Yeah. I didn't want it. I, I, like he hit the ball so damn hard and so damn far that it was just whatever. But anyway, so he, you know, there, there's certain. I'll say this, you know, you talked about you and I talked about like right your inner circle, your people, yeah. um, the people that help and support you and get you there and whatnot. Like, it doesn't matter. Like everyone's got that inner circle. Yeah. Barry has his inner circle. It's just tiny. It there, it is very few that that he lets in, but. You know, again, like my opportunity working out with him and seeing how he trained and seeing how how diligent he worked. And then some days he showed up, like I said, you know, there were some days where he was a lot more talking, a lot more free. Other days he showed up and it's like I'm just getting work done. Yeah, uh, okay. you know, he said what's up and everything, a, but it was just like you could tell yeah. he was a man on a mission. Yeah, he he wasn't there to bullshit with me. He was he was there to he was there to get his stuff done. I was I was good with it, man. So. Just, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's cool. It's cool to see with uh, some of these dudes. Man, look, you know, and, and obviously growing up, Barry Bonds was, was the guy for me. Same thing with Kyle Ripken. I still had the, the baseball glove. But I only played one year of baseball. I was so shitty, man. And I scored. But the only reason I scored is because my, my uncle was the umpire. And so the damn ball would clearly be strikes, man. He'll call balls. I get on base. I'll score from there. And he used to call me. What did he call me, man? He called me uh, – I can't even remember, man. But it was some nickname about some some big league hitter, and I hit one pop fly in practice, and that was the only ball I ever touched. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know what? Though me, here's the here's Mays, the thing. Like Willie I think Mays. you're obviously an athlete, yeah. right? So yeah. we, I'm like, you know, look, man. If I threw if I if I threw you in a pool when 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 you're two years old and yeah. taught you how to swim, I there's there's no way that you can't tell me that. You know, you have the right training, you know, regimen, and you go through your thing. You could have been an Olympic swimmer. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if 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 I take you out here like I do my kid every night, and I I show you this right here because this is where we play our baseball wow. games. I see him. That's it's a great. strike zone. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like it is, dude. I I fired tennis balls at him, like basically as hard as I can throw. He's eight years old, right? So we're only going to develop and 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 really kind of be as good as our opportunity. Sure. That's kind of the concept of the whole Let Them Play Foundation because. You know, when my wife and I started it, we were going to put our kids into uh, public schools. Yeah. And we're looking at it, and we're like, man, but they, they don't have everyday PE. Like, wh- what is this? And then we started looking at the numbers even more. 60% of kids do zero after-school youth activity. And then you look at it more, like kids are spending seven to nine hours a day on screens. And I'm like, man, something's jacked up about this. This ain't right. Yeah. And then we realized that, you know, we're, t- we're going to put our kids in private school. Our kids up up here's a ski mountain, so they're on the ski team and whatnot. We're in Lake Tahoe, and and you know my kid plays baseball, and the girls play. You know they're on the ski team and they do soccer and gymnastics. But here's the thing, like this is a huge socioeconomic issue, sure. and even though like I I'm lucky to have the means and resources to be able to put my kids to give them that opportunity to do such, but the issue is is that not everybody has that, and so. What we need to do, whether it's through the public education system, make sure we continue to keep our kids moving, or through after-school youth activity organizations, we got to let the kids play, man. And the only reason, like, you know, I, and I hate to bring this back to you in the non-swimming thing, 
but there's no reason that there's that there is an American right. that should not should not be taught how to swim. Absolutely, there is no reason that if there's a kid that wants to play baseball, no matter what, like we need to give him every opportunity to play baseball, and there shouldn't be finances that like it should not be an issue. Yeah, and you know it's it's something that we got you know we, we've been champion obviously uh, for a few years now and. And uh, we're going to continue to keep making noise on that. Man, I tell you, you know, and a lot of these parents, you're right, are getting outpriced. Right? There's a lot of uh, little leaguers out here that don't necessarily have the means because everything is being geared towards the travel ball and everything. Else. Travel ball, is bu- dude, it's bullshit, bro. Yeah, that's bullshit. You know what I mean? So, so what we're doing is we're going to leave behind some of our best players, right. and that's a that's a problem with baseball. Right, I mean, it, because if you if you start making this an economic thing, right. and we start lo- if we start losing our our best athletes, the game's the game's gonna be screwed. Right, because you're not you're not gonna be playing with the best. So you know, as far as baseball's concerned, man, you gotta, you know, what it's gonna do is it's gonna continue to get more and more uh, foreign. Yeah, and you're gonna continue to see more more Dominicans. Uh, you know, obviously more Venezuelans. Uh, Mexicanos, uh, Japan, Korea, yeah. all of it, and they'll they'll take over the big leagues because big league teams don't care, right? Like it's nice to have an American, but hey, they want the best players. Sure. Yeah. So we got we got to make sure we keep giving, you know, just make sure everyone gets the opportunity to play and develop. Man, that's special right there. And I'm a, I want to dive into like a, a quick baseball question. All right, so when I was with Pittsburgh, when I was with the Steelers, the half of the ownership of the team is is from a guy who created legendary film, which is like Dark Knight and everything else of that nature. Um, but they did a documentary on the fastest fastball ever, and I think it was like Nolan Ryan where he threw his shit out or something like that. But David McCutcheon was there talking to us uh, as the team, you know. And it's so fascinating because, again, you got these, these high-level professional football players, and they are admiring and soaking up every word that this pro baseball player is saying because it is such a different feat. But there was this, apparently there's this study, and these scientists says that fastballs can't arise, right? Like physically, they cannot arise or something like that. But every baseball player in the world says that the damn ball rises when it gets to a certain level. Is that true or what? True. Yeah, yeah you're damn right it rises. Yeah. I, I don't understand why they say you can't rise. It's, now, we've proven it. It's like spin rate, and they're, you know, they're, they're, their explanation is that it falls less. Yeah. I, I, whatever. I mean, it's everything's so scientific now. But yeah, you, when you when you see a guy with a good four seam fastball and literally like it's it's coming at you like this, it's just like. Yeah. And next thing you know, you're swinging under it and you know whatnot, and you're done. But yeah, it's look baseball. Base, baseball, it's it's such a that I. You know, I think this is a really. Um, I think it was a really good analogy. I don't know an analogy, but analysis, I guess. And I'm patting myself on the back for it. Simeon Rice and I uh, actually talked to Sim yesterday for a long time. But, you know, we, we've had – and he's a fucking superior athlete, man. Like Simeon one of the Rice. greatest – Buccaneer Simeon Rice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So, so, so this is one of the greatest athletes to ever play in the NFL. Yeah. Like it just, just incredible. Size, strength, speed, everything, right? Well, Sim and I have had several conversations about, like, hey, what sport's the best athlete? And, you know, for a long time, like, I, I would try to make an argument, like, dude, the NBA, like, these guys are the greatest athletes, the tallest, strongest, fastest. And he's like, no, nah, man. He's like, no chance. He's like, you're football players. Yeah. And he goes, you got no idea. He's like, he's, you know. And so where where my argument would be, and I'm like, okay, maybe if we go just pure athletes, right, it could be football players, but <clears throat> when it comes down now, where the NBA and these dudes, where I would I would give them a little edge up, right. is basically basically because there's a major skill involved in it, and that's putting the ball through a hoop, right? And outside of the quarterback, who you know, I don't know. I mean, they're a different kind of football player, right? If you're sitting in the pocket and doing whatever, and so we, we we've had these debates over and over now. Baseball, on the other hand, and I'm not look. I'm not. I'm, I'm well, not going to go champion well, champion all the athletes here. No, and I, and I just say, but there's a lot of football players that can play basketball, but basketball players can't play football. And I think that baseball is a different category. 
Baseball is a different category because baseball you have such a wide range right. of like you like relief pitchers. But if you look at outfielders, you look at middle infielders, the super athletic guys, um, and then baseball, by by my assessment, is they are the most skilled athletes, yeah. and that's when it comes to what you were talking about, hitting that hundred mile per hour fastball coming at you, and it's something that's ingrained right. in your mind, and it's not, it's like just something that's it's repetition, repetition, repetition. That's why it's very rare you'll ever see a baseball player take like a year, two years off and then come back to the form he was at before. Yeah. Because it's such a it's a it's a neurological connection between your eyes to the mind to the hands to get them to fire, right? Like there's it's so complex. And when you have to do that at such an elite level and um you know it it, it it's a trip. But you know, I, I ultimately I do I do agree with Simeon, man. Like I, I do think that, you know, look you know, football players, all in all, greatest athletes. I, 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 he, he actually, he actually got me to buy to to buy into it because, yeah. You know, if you want to talk about skills too, like the footwork, you know, the route running, you know, having to keep up with the next dude, you know, whatever it is. So anyway, well, you know, the debate, I, the debate goes it, on. It continues, and you take soccer and throw that shit out the window. You know, I'm like, no. is it just cross country? Right, you you can't not not yet not in our in our country you just can't do it right right there's no there's no there's no doubt in my mind the best athletes on, in in Europe are are soccer players yeah because that's that's where all the money is right right that's that's what they're chasing so those dudes go they, they a lot of those dudes go play soccer but just, it doesn't happen here well you know and I want to get between the ears a little bit right one are right, you got a guy who throws two hundred mile an hour fastballs right at you damn you no know he throws a slider change up he goes from a hundred to damn seventy five. I mean, I'm assuming that I would tear my ACL just guessing that I'm swinging because the amount of time that you have to make that decision is, what, four-tenths of a millisecond, something like that, something crazy. Wow. I don't know what it was. But I was listening to uh, Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday, all right? And he talks about, early in the book, he talks about Sean Greens and, and kind of where he was at and his performance. And he was on a major slump. They had paid him all of this cash. He wasn't performing at his level, and he lost his way. And he said chop wood, carry water, right? He carried his philosophy with him, and he started to get back centered. And then he had the game of his life, like six for six, four homers or something crazy like that. But in this business of professional baseball, how much of it is you being a self-starter, right? How much of it is it, you know, you dealing with psych coaches and counselors and, and everybody else? Because, you know, you got to think, you're only going to get so many at-bats. You're going to fail more than you succeed. So how in the hell do you deal with that? Chop wood, carry water. Yeah. I mean, that's, Sean, Sean drilled it, man. Like, I played with Sean in, in uh, 2006 in Arizona, and, and he helped revitalize my career, man. And the other thing is I know, I know Ryan Holiday uh, as well, and I've, I've read Stillness is the Key. I, I know the chapter you're talking about. Um <clears throat> It's interesting because, you know, Sean, um, Sean took a Zen-like approach, and he's actually heralded as, as you know, a, a Buddhist yeah. uh, baseball player, and it, he's Jewish as well. It's an interesting little combo, but <laughs> he, he was he Sean, Sean was um, an incredible, it still is an incredible uh, intellectual that. Literally, there's so there's so many guys like Sean that couldn't get out of their own way yeah. because they were too smart for their own good. And Sean figured out a way to channel it through immersing himself in the process. And you know, when I was in Arizona, I had uh, so I I played for Oakland. I got dra- you know drafted in '98, get the big leagues in 2000. From 2000 to 2005, I play with the A's. I get traded. I go to Colorado. I'm there for two weeks. I get traded to Baltimore. Play there for two months. I sucked in Colorado. I sucked in Baltimore. I get released. I sign a one-year deal in Arizona, and I'm playing in between two legends. Sean Green uh, was playing right field, and Luis Gonzalez was playing left field, and I was playing center. And right before the season started, we had a guy. His name's Jeff DeBannon. He just went off, man. Like he was a he was a free agent sign as well. 
Um, and, you know, he was, he was signed as like the fourth outfielder. I was supposed to be the starting center fielder. But Devannon just killed it. And so when the season started, I started the first game. And then after that, Bob, Bob Melvin was our manager. He's like, man, he's like, you know, I got, I got to, I got to get Devannon in there. And so he goes, but I, I promise you, I'll, I'll keep getting you a game of series or whatever. I'm like, Bob, I said, I'd play Devannon over me right now too. And so the first month of the season, I basically was, you know, I was playing like one game of series and, uh, I get in the cage with Sean and I, I would hit with Sean and, and Gonzo every day. And Tony Clark was the other guy. And we played this home run game. And basically it was an Oppo Taco home run game where we would try to launch balls uh, and hit them out to, to the opposite field, which helps you stay on the ball and stay through it. And so he, he did this little thing I'm trying to show you here. But basically he did this thing where it was like weight on the back foot, you know, like just so, so a lot more fluid, whatever. But he taught me. But it was like we got back. And he taught me how to hit opposite field home runs. And it was like every day, it was funny, we would, we would go up to each other. We'd be like this, chop wood, carry water, chop wood, carry water, chop wood, carry water. And, I, you know, all of this was going on, right? I could I could have put my head in the sand and been like, oh, man, uh, you know, geez, yeah. I, poor me. Devanna's playing so well. You know, I could, I, could have, I could have packed it in. And I'm like, nah, man, chop wood, carry water every day. And Sean and I kept going out there. Pretty soon I'm hitting oppo bombs in BP. I'm like, damn, man, this is like this feels amazing. And so I took that time to work on my craft. And towards the end of the month of April, the van had cooled off a little bit. I got in there and I remember hitting a monster home run. And from there, I never looked back. So after the first month of the season, I was basically hitting 200 with one homer. And I I, I finished the year with 26 home runs and 25 stolen bases. And, you know, I attribute that 100% to Sean Green and, and the chop wood carry water, chop wood carry water. Like, you got to – there's a certain element, right? Like I yeah. said, obsessed. you got to become a machine, man. You, and you can't, you can't take your feelings personal. I mean, it's, that's, what, that's what gets in the way uh, of so many athletes from reaching their potential because ego gets in the way. You know, we'll bring this back to Ryan Holiday and the whole ego is the enemy thing, man. Like, it, Taj, it, 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 it'll kill you, dude. And, um, you know, you'll never find peace in life if you're not able to eliminate ego. Absolutely. And I'm assuming that this is what you carry with you on a day-to-day basis. You don't get out there and run damn 100-mile or ultra marathons if you don't have that. Dude, here's the thing. When I got done, though, it's funny because, I mean, most of the people that are going to see this, I, you know, they're probably like, hey, you know, who is this dude or whatever. But basically, I got done playing professional baseball. And I, on a dare, I went and tried to sprint triathlon. Yeah. So here I am. I never, like, you know, I weighed 215 pounds. I was stacked. Like, those type of people aren't, are, they're not doing these triathlons. Yeah. But I, on a dare, I'm like, yeah, screw it. Hey, I'm done with baseball. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing next. I mean, might as well kind of venture into this world. I almost drowned in the water. <laughs> I, I I literally thought I was gonna die, man. Yeah. I, I I I I remember getting ashore and I was just so happy I was alive. Yeah. I got I got on my beach cruiser bike and that's the bike I brought to the triathlon. I wasn't trying to be funny. I I was just I mean I don't know try like this, I thought this bike was good enough. I was getting I was getting passed by sixteen year old girls, yeah. and then I ran a, a, a you know a few miles and finished this thing and. You know, I was a sprinter, man. I wasn't, I wasn't any kind of distance runner. So I huff and puff it across the finish line. I looked at all three of my friends. I said, that was the greatest experience uh, of my life. Um, and all three of you, which they all kicked my ass, I said, you'll never beat me again. Yeah. And so I went out the next day. I bought a triathlon bike. Um, I hired a swim coach. And, and I started running distance. And within a, you know, like a seven-year period, I did – uh, 11, 12 Ironmans, um, you know, ended up getting into ultra running, yeah. uh, ended up doing the Western States 100, which is like the Super Bowl of ultra running. And then, uh, you know, did the triathlon across the country uh, for the Let Them Play Foundation, where we were, it was a seven mile swim across the bay, a 2,400 mile bike from Oakland to Chicago, uh, and then a 905 mile run from Chicago to New York City, and then backed that up with, um, 
the 24 hour Guinness Book of World Records for golf, which was golf, a yeah. hundred, 106 mile, uh, 420 hole adventure to break a record that stood for 47 years. But here's the thing, dude. This wasn't like, this wasn't something that I just tripped into. Yeah. Like, this is something that I, I found that I was a, and, and the only reason why I loved it is because I was a rookie again. Yeah. Because I got my ass kicked. Yeah. Because I had to start at the bottom. But the issue is so many people, are, they're willing, they're unwilling to put themselves in uncomfortable positions, right? So, it, you know, we were all the best. We all played at the highest level. But here's the thing. If you're not willing to start at the bottom, yeah, you're, you're going to miss out on a lot of life. So, the, you know, the, the key is just become vulnerable. And, you know, you and I talked about that a little bit before this. Like, you got to be able to let your guard down. you got to be able to just completely – uh, be okay with not being the best. And it's amazing the experiences that we'll be able to accumulate along the way. Well, yeah, the, the unknown, the challenge is what makes it worth it. And a lot, people ask me all the time, you know, do you miss playing? And you're like, shit, no, I don't miss playing. I miss everything that led up to the game day. You know, I miss the workouts. I miss the gassers. I miss running in the damn winter. I miss talking shit in the locker room. You know, it's those, those key components that lead up to, the byproduct, which is scoring touchdowns and winning games, but that's not what you learn to love, and because you got to love the grind, you know, you got to love the hurt, and when you don't find that in the day to day, man, it's tough to to really feel like you're living a purpose driven life, you know. And so, what it sounds like you're doing, man, is putting in play in every single facet of your life and taking these things that you learn, compartmentalizing it, and breaking it down to give out, and that's pretty special in itself, you know. Dude, it's it's a process, bro. Yeah. It's a like you gotta love the process. Yeah. And I'll tell I'll tell you this. It, it's you know the one thing that we all should be chasing is sustained energy. Sustained energy. Like that's look, man. Momentum Mori, dude. I know you follow you know Brian Holiday daily. Like look. Uh, Amor Fati, love our fate, momentum, Mori, we all will none of, die. None of us make it out of here alive, man. So what, what's the point to that? It's not to be morbid. It's not to see buddy. It's just to let you know that our days are numbered here. And the question is, what do you want to do with those days? Yeah. What are you, what are you, what are you going to do to be like, you're dead for a long time. What are you going to do to be able to make sure you maximize your experience on a daily basis? And, it starts, like in my mind, 100% with a routine. You gotta have a routine. You gotta set yourself up with, like, you know what you're going to be doing on a daily basis. Sure, we're gonna we're gonna go experience different things, and you know, there's different education processes, and you know, not every two days the same. It's not Groundhog's Day, but there are certain elements of your day that you need to lock in. Yeah. You got, you got, you gotta have it. All right. So, what's your process? I know. Because I went and bought the Daily Stoic, got that. I learned that from the Daily Hustle. It's good stuff. Um, Love it. And that era was actually, you know, Epictetus uh, for Krusty's, <laughs> all of that, man, it's pretty fascinating yeah. because I love the fact that they had their own damn philosophy school. Like, you didn't just go to class and major in whatever. It was whatever your mindset wanted to be, you know. And um, the fact that you're owning in on that, too. And the word itself. I mean, you're 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 dipping into a whole pool of knowledge and wisdom, um, and that's exactly what we talked about, right? It's what are the experiences we have they're never shared, shared. You know, it's, it's it's pointless. And so the fact that you're taking that, relaying that message on to the next one, it continues to thrive, and that's legacy in itself. And um, oh, go ahead. You about to say something? I was said none of this shit's new, man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All the the stuff you and I are talking, about, dude. You, you're wise beyond your years. Yeah. I could tell. I could. T- I could tell you from this one phone conversation. You're ahead of the game, but none of this shit is new. I'm it. not spewing. I'm not spewing anything. Ho- Ryan Holiday's not spewing anything that right. that all of a sudden it's like this revolutionary sort of thing. That's what I love with the modern day self help people. It's just like, you know, they got the keys and the answers. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I. No, man, this is 2,000 years ago. This is documented, right? Right? Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, like all this stuff's been written about. Right. I mean, like, it, it's, it's not. So, so what does that mean? You know, it's, it's like, you know, even with the whole COVID-19 thing right now, it's like, 
Oh, the world's coming to an end. I can't believe like this is happening. Yada yada. Dude, for years people they they dealt with the plague. Yeah. They de- you know they they dealt with natural disasters. They dealt with like things that we couldn't even dream of. And we're sitting here feeling sorry for ourselves for yeah. this bullshit. And, and I get it. Hey, look, life's rough. It's not you know it's not fair or it is fair. Either way, I look at it. I, you know, number one, it's not fair because. Some things are going to happen to some people, and some things are not going to happen to other people, whatever. Yeah. The one thing that is fair is our response. So if that's the case, I'll go back and I'll say, you know what? Life is fair because we all have a choice to how we're going to respond. Yeah. And then our inner, our inner peace, right, our, our inner joy, our satisfaction, our day-to-day everything, you know what that's from? That's from us. It's from what we do. It's yeah. from the lives we live. It's from... It's from setting all this up, man. Like, so, you know, it's, again, you know, I have, I have what I do on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very regimented. Uh, it starts with, uh, get, you know, getting up, getting up early, uh, getting up with the sun each and every single morning, sticking my feet on the foot reflexology board, going ahead, going ahead and, uh, I have my bulletproof coffee. Uh, I, I go through my daily devotional. I go through daily stoic. I go through the daily dad. I read my own daily hustle, which I write three weeks in advance. So a lot of times I forget what I wrote. You know, I'll even, I'll even, I'll, I'll listen to a couple of podcasts. I'll fire on an audio book and I'm gone, man. I'm exercising. I'm moving. Why? Because that's brain stimulation. Yeah. And then I work at, I work everything around the kids schedule. Every, everything around, you know, I, there, there was something I read the other day, like with the daily dad, like when, when your kids, there's one thing you should never say no to in life when they say let's play, right? Because we all have the excuse, like, you know, no, man, I got this, I got this, I got this, and I'm a busy dude. I get, you know, between the the podcast and whatever commitments I have for MLB podcast. and yeah. um, whatnot, like, yeah, man, I there, there's a lot of time. It's real easy to come up with an excuse of how and why, like, I can't do this. But, nah, they say let's play, we're playing. It's on. I mean, that's just uh, – I, you know, there's priorities in life, and, and I think the, you know, this whole situation right now and being at home and everything, I, I think it's been a great opportunity for everyone to slow down a little bit and reprioritize. Well, silver lining and everything, you know, and that's that old adage, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. It depends on your perspective and how you want to look at it. But one of the things that you just said that, you know, I loved was that you talked about response. Um, and sometimes people confuse that with react. All right. You know, we live in an era right now where people just react first thing, you know, it's all clickbait. It's how the hell can I get a reaction out of people to make this thing drive right here? But nobody sits back yeah. and takes a deep breath and responds to what's actually happening right now. So when you said that, I know that there was purpose, uh, it was purposeful and it was intended because that's what you do. You respond and not react. So, so we all, we all are. My dad did another thing. This is the most iconic thing. I think one of, one of them is that he, he used to tell me, he's like, don't take your feelings so personal. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean don't take my feelings so personal? Like, my feelings are all I have. Like, I'm an emotional right. dude. I'm an emotional player. I've made a career playing baseball by, you know, using my emotions and taking my feelings personal and going out there. And, you know, I, there's, there's people I want to prove wrong. There's people I want to, you know – you know, show I, you know, I'm better than you say I am and, and whatever else. I'm like, I think that's helped drive me. Like, I don't agree with you. Yeah. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, okay. And so what happens is that we all deal with emotions and the emotions are going to come. And then after the emotions come, we're all going to have feelings. And these feelings are going to come. It's like, you know, well, he said this or she said that or whatever it is or you know what, maybe I just had a bad game and, 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 I'm, and I'm down on myself and whatever. But the thing is, is that we're going to have the feelings. And it's okay that we recognize the feelings, that we sit there and be like, yeah, man, like, no big deal, right? Like, that, that, that's, that, that's fine. And we deal with them. Yeah. And, 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 then, and then, then it's like there's this, there's this blank space in between, like, what happens, especially, like, instinctual stuff, yeah. where something's going to happen, and there's that blank space between that and the point that you respond. Right. Are you going to react or respond? You know, kind of like you said, I like that a lot. Um, and and it's, it goes back to what you and I were talking about from the beginning, man. It's control what's within our control and let go of everything else. That's it, man. And the Daily Hustle, 
because it was it was a change of pace. You know, everything I'm listening to, I throw on Joe Rogan, I throw on whatever podcast, and it's usually hour hour and a half daily hustle, quick hitter, three to five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was that planned? Well, so this is what happened. So I wrote I wrote I wrote the the effort list, and then after I wrote the effort list, um. Had had some really cool responses, right? Yeah. But in the effort list, I'm like, it's a mentality, it's a lifestyle. And I told my two dudes that I work with in Nashville, I'm like, if we're gonna say it's a it's a mentality, it's a lifestyle, like, yeah. let's create like whatever this is, you know, it, like this blog that that kind of continues. I'm like, I and I think that'd be a good way to 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 draw people in. And you know, the problem is is that there's gonna be a stereotype. On me because you know not only it's like well wh- why would I read this baseball player's book is going to be the perception and then on top of that like this guy's a crazy motherfucker so like why would you know even more why would I read his book and that's yeah. sort of the outside you know image that that I I constantly say would have to would have to try to overcome and I'm like you know what let's create this this thing called the daily hustle. And it will just be an extension of the book because basically the book was a hundred and something chapters. Yeah. Quick hitters though, right? Stories, a quote at the beginning from, from uh, typically some sort of legendary figure yeah. um, that I look up to in my life, backed up with a personal story of what I had to deal with and then capped off with what sort of value am I going to give you if you're going to take the time and spend hours reading my book? Yeah. I need you to be able to have something. And so basically, you know, that that opened the door to the daily hustle, which is which is just an extension of that. And yeah. what's cool about it is, is everything's relevant, right? It's 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 time sensitive and and I'm typically able to relate to the world that we're living in. I try to stay about two, three weeks ahead of the time. Um, but for the most part, dude, it's just, you know, let's give someone some rocket fuel, yeah. right? Three to five minutes. And then what I do is I'll read the daily hustle, which is the blog yeah. on the podcast. And then after that, I free flow and react. And, and th- that's when, you know, you and you and I said, man, like truth and authenticity do this everything. And so it's like, I'll read and do my thing, whatever. But it's the free flows. It, it's the when I can kind of check out and get into my own little space, um, and, and really kind of you know let the guard down on 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 how I feel and and most importantly how how my experience potentially could positively affect the person that would take the time to read or listen to it. Well, and that's that's how I heard about it. You know, there's a friend of mine that I work out with. His name's Dustin. He's a former Marine. I mean, and he's. He's a very uh, intuitive person. I mean, very well versed in every category of his life, man. And it's pretty just sound across the board. And, you know, I heard it the first time and I was just locked in. I said, like, holy shit, this is the best thing I ever heard, you know? No, no bullshit, no cap. Thanks, dude. Thank you, bro. And so, like, you got, like, chapter two right here. You said you start with a quote and it says, Do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. Ralph Waldo, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Emerson. RWE, man. Good stuff, man. You know? And, uh, you can only be you, man. That is it. And uh, I got this clip. And let me know. Can you hear everything that I'm saying? Because yeah. I have to play this clip, and I wanted to see if you can hear this right here. All right, here you go. Okay. Explain to you what Jeffrey Accor was thinking. Coming around full, he's coming around at full speed, right? And as he's coming around at full speed, his initial thought, just like it is every other Major League Baseball player at this point, is, hey, I'm going to slide. I'm going to slide the outside of the plate. But when he got to about right, let's call it where you guys are, okay. at this point, he saw the catcher immediately, bam, he gets the ball. So from this point on, you only have about two, three, four steps to go from, hey, look, I'm going to slide to, I need to take. <laughs> it's just- oh, my gosh, man. Oh, dude. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's, you know, I mean... It's for, a lifestyle. I, it's energy, you know? Hey, man, like, it, show me how you do anything, and I'll show you how you do everything. Yeah. Right? Like, that's... Yeah. So, if I if I was going to go out there and play my ass off and put it on the line every single night, you know, as a broadcaster, as a podcaster, uh, as someone who's going to, 
you know, take the time, energy, and effort to to sit down and write as much as I do for the daily hustle. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna go full send, man. And, and it's you know, sure there's semantics and um you know whatnot that I I have fun with and um you know I think part of life is like dude we all need to laugh right yeah. and even with some of the messages in the daily hustle if, like if you go back and look at like some of the Instagram posts or something that I have <laughs> I you know, there's there's a yes there's some very serious stuff that I'm talking about yeah. but if we can't laugh at ourselves dude right. like it's we're we're all fucked yeah. like you you yeah. you gotta be able you gotta be able to smile it's a it's a huge part of life can't take yourself too serious. Um, and you don't really, at the end of the day, look, but let's put, put your heart into every, Ronnie Lott, Ronnie Lott, when I was a kid, my dad and him were good friends. Yeah. And Ronnie Lott, um, wrote on a, um, picture. And he's like, he's like, E, he goes, keep, the heart into everything. Ronnie. Not Ronnie Lott. He didn't sign it Ronnie Lott. He signed it Ronnie. Yeah. And I'm like, dude. And that, like, that has stayed with me for life. Keep the heart into everything. Because that goes back to what you were talking about. Truth and authenticity. And, you know, it, it's, this is a, a different world we live in. And, and I, I think it's a beautiful world. Yeah. Um, but it's predicated now on truth and authenticity and any like don't the, the bullshit, all that other stuff. It's just like, yeah. save it. Like, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. And, and you know, you gotta be, you gotta lead by example. Show me, don't tell me. It's like, we all, we all can spew stuff and, yeah. and I can tell you how to live your life and whatnot. But unless I'm charging life, unless I'm doing what I can do to, to continue to, to, uh, you know, educate myself and, and accumulate experiences and, and, and raise three, you know, kids the right way. Always earn, never given. Yeah. That's a big thing with me. Uh, like, it's, look, you know, us, us given the, the participation, participation trophy culture, uh-uh. Yeah. Like, it's, that wasn't doing anybody any good. I, you know, we got, we got to, we got to teach these kids of the way of the world. It's, it's, it's how it is and be supportive along the way. Yeah. It doesn't mean, you know, you got to be, you know, old hard asses or anything else like that. It's not about that. It's about, it's about being there for support, but letting them know you ain't going to win every game. You, I mean, it's when I'm down here and I'm firing balls at my boy, like, yeah. look, man, some, some, sometimes you're going to get drilled and sometimes you're going to strike out right. and you got to suck it up, buttercup. It's, <laughs> it's got to be able to respond and yeah. it's tough for him, man. He's eight years old. It's tough to, to see him have to rebound after a, a, a bad call or anything else. And, and I could see it. And part of me wants to be like, dude, like get it together. And like this, yeah. not, but I got to remember, right. He's dealing with all those emotions and he's taking his feelings very personal. Yeah. And it's, it's his experience, you know, and his alone. And although there's going to be some similarities between what you know and what you saw and what he sees, it's still going to be different for him than it was for you. You know? So that's awesome. man. And I do keep up with Instagram stories and, he got a hell of a swing, at least in comparison to mine. So I can't wait to see what he looks like as he continues to mature. But EB, man, I appreciate you, man. This is awesome, you know. And uh, at any time, man. Yeah. Seriously, like it's it's we we do this more often. I mean, I love crossing, uh, you know, the the the, the sports worlds together. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Again, like you know, everything I've seen from you and talking to you, like you're wise beyond your years. I think the biggest thing is is continue to you know. Uh, you know, pay it forward, man. Yeah. Right? It's it's the, continue to teach the next generation, um, you know, the way of the world, and it, and it's a process, and you know whatnot. But um, you know, I, I appreciate you and in everything that you do. This is good, man. Well, look, I'm gonna let you get back to it. Uh, appreciate you, man. This is awesome. My guy, is this what I see? There, 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 he, there he is. So he took me deep today. Grand slam, man. Grand and then slam. he stri- and then he struck me out to end the game. The only time I get grand slams is on MLB tap baseball that I play on my phone, man. So <laughs> <laughs> he's got a baseball game on his phone. Yeah. Run on the so you know Taj was hey, hey, he, he, he was an unbelievable quarterback. Clemson. Remember when we went by Clemson in South Carolina? 
But yeah, we, we went. Oh, we drove through there not too long ago. I gotta, I gotta get out there again. You got, hey, look, let me know. We'll get you set up this year, man. Yeah, yeah. Assuming that we have football season, we'll get you set up. Here, man. You guys might have the season, but I don't know if they're gonna let the fans in. Yeah, real life scrimmage out here.